We certainly are looking forward and anticipating the day when we're able to uh, to resume worship in the sanctuary. But if for no other reason, the wafting of food is not quite as strong in there <laughs> as it is in here. So I know everybody's thinking, all right, get to the point and we'll get out of here and we'll leave. Thankful for the opportunity to be here and open God's Word before you. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. Again this morning, Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 9. Last week we considered in, in verses 1 through 8 the attitude of the people towards the, the Word of God. They, had, they rightly regarded the Word of God. We saw them as they had the Word of God as the right priority. It was the people who initiated. They called for, for Ezra to come and to come and read to them the Word of God this first day of the seventh month. As they requested that to come and they listened to it. Listen intently to the Word of God as it was proclaimed and explained to them. They had the right perspective. In other words, their minds were, were drawn Godward as they considered the Word. Ezra, as he, as he opened the Word before them, compelled to speak the Word of, of blessing of the Lord before he reads. And the people are there. Their hearts are drawn Godward as they are listening to the Word. And also the right perception. They understood the meaning of the Word. Had it explained to them. And it was in that that they found the great delight and great joy. Some have referred to these chapters of, of Nehemiah, chapters 8, 9, and 10, as a something of a revival, something of a spiritual revival taking place here. And certainly it has the elements of it. And we considered even last week just that when God is doing a great spiritual work among a people, and you look at the great historical revivals, there has always been an elevating of the Word of God. Well, the Word of God has been a priority to the people, to those who proclaim the Word of God. So today's text in verses 9 and following, we're going to look at the response of the people to the truths as they came to understand what Ezra was reading, what the Levites were explaining to them, how they responded here. So begin reading with me here, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. Again, just to say it, if you go back to the very last verse in the previous chapter, um, the last part of verse 73 in chapter 7. The seventh month came, the sons of Israel in their cities. And then in verse eight, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 1, they all gathered as one met the square which is in front of the water gate and asked Ezra the scribe to bring the books of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. So it's the first day of the seventh month, a significant month. We'll look at more of the details of that, of that in just a moment. So beginning in verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. 
And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And these booths were kind of a temporary housing set up. We'll read some of it here in verse 15. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths, booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, in the square at the water gate, in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to that day. And there was great rejoicing. And he read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Now you find as you, you share the gospel with different people in whatever capacity it may be, if you're in a work situation where you're talking with people in your workplace or you're doing as we've done in recent weeks and, and last summer, going door to door and having the opportunity on occasion to share the gospel with people in those visits. There's a variety of responses to that. You know, some people you you share and you know, you can sense even though some may be courteous, you know, they're really not interested. You know, they're just not really getting what you're wanting to share with them. They haven't had impressed upon them by the Spirit of God the urgency of their, their situation, the need, the need of the gospel of Christ being pressed upon them. But then you find some that encourage us. You know, they're, they seem to be captivated. The truths ring true to their heart. And they're ready to, to respond in obedience to the to the commands of the gospel to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a refreshing response that is. But you know, you find that there's the truth to that likewise in the life of believers, isn't it? Um, sometimes we can have wonderful truths being shared with us, but you know, it's just like, it's not a whole lot of interest. And, and other times, those truths can actually, they, they, they grip us. They grip our hearts. It's as simply as true in taking the Word of God and reading it, is it not? The times that we can sit down with our Bibles and we're reading and, you know, it's good and it's interesting if we're able to keep our mind in, but nothing really, just this really grabbing us. And then you'll sit down on occasion with the Word of God and it's like the Spirit of God will just take a truth and just impress it strongly upon our hearts and it, and it grips us. And what, what refreshing days those are for us, those times that the Spirit of God does that in our hearts. Well, we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8, the people who respond to the Word of God. We see something, the work of the Spirit of God is evident because of this response. But in short, we want to talk about how these people, that they, as they heard the Word of God, they, they took it to heart. They took the Word of God to heart. And that's the title of my message this morning, is taking God's Word to heart. And that's really the thought I want to impress upon you and upon me today as we consider this, this text is, what does it mean and what happens when we sit at the feet 
of the Lord and we have His Word either in the preaching or the teaching or even our times with the Word of God open before us and we're in the Word of God and that Word becomes live to us. We take that Word to heart. That's what we want to consider this morning is the Jews of, of Nehemiah's day. They did that. They took this Word to heart. What happened? Well, first of all, we'll find this. As we take the Word of God into heart, we find that the Word of God will chide us. The Word of God will chide us. It will correct us. It will rebuke us. It will have sometimes have that sting with it. Look here in the text. The people's response in verse 9 as they had the Word of God read to them. Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, the Levites, who taught the people, say to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. What are they doing? They're mourning and they're weeping. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Well, maybe it was tears of joy? No. I mean, obviously by the exhortation given to them by Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, this is a holy day to the Lord. Do not mourn. Do not weep. Verse 10. Go and eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. Send portions of him. For him has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved. Verse 11. The very last part of the verse. Do not be grieved. What were these tears? Tears of mourning. Tears of grief. As they sat and they heard the Word of God read to them, explained to them. And the Word of God came and it had that chiding, that charging, that correcting power, work coming forth from it. And there was apparently a sense of their own guilt before God. A sense of this Word, this law of God being read to us. How far we've fallen. How far removed we are from embracing the truths of the Word of God. Perhaps a sense of, of loss due to sin. A sense of you know, what might have been had our forefathers walked in obedience to the law of God. Having been thrown into exile for 70 years. Having returned to Jerusalem and finding the city greatly destroyed. Having the wall rebuilt, but still nothing of the grandeur, nothing of the glory. And so here they stand inside of this rebuilt wall. Perhaps with a sense of loss. Or what might have been. What might this place have been if our forefathers had not sinned and if we had not been joined in their sin. And it's God's just judgment, His chastisement on His people as they identified themselves. It's not the, it's their fault, but it's just, here we are. Here we are. What might have been? Those kind of things move you to tears, don't they? And don't we have those occasions in our own life, you know, you look back and think, oh, and I think we have to, we have to be careful here. We understand the, the providence and the sovereignty of God, but at the same time, we have the reality of sin. And sometimes we just want to think and have to say in our own hearts, oh Lord, what might have been? What might have been had we not given ourselves to sin and to disobedience? Well, there's a people that was moved to tears of grief as they sit under the reading of God's Word. It's certainly a, a mark of God's people as they hear the Word of God, reminded of, uh, of David, King David and his sin. And it's also a passage that, that Steve brought to our remembrance a few weeks ago. As King David was 
one who had involved himself in the sin of immorality and involved himself because of that in the sin of murder, trying to hide his sin. And what happened? What happened? He was a man evidently that was content to go on his merry way, but God sent a word, didn't He? God sent His word to a man through a man named Nathan the prophet. And Nathan tells the story about this wealthy man who has all these great possessions, all these animals, and he goes and he takes this one little ewe lamb that was like a member of the family to this other man. He takes it and he steals it. And he kills it instead of providing some of his own. And, you know, here is the righteous king pronouncing his righteous judgment upon someone who would do such a thing. He says, that person should be condemned. And he pronounces the judgment that should be sent forth on that man. And then Nathan's sharp word to him was what? You're the man. It's you, King David. Chiding. Chiding work. The word of God as it is allowed to come and to penetrate and we see we have the wonderful response given to us in Psalm 51. David's wonderful expression of repentance as the Word of God came in and it, and it took root. He was not indifferent. You know, he, he was the king. Could he not say to Nathan, how dare you come into my presence and speak to the king that way? But he was a man for God's own heart. He was a man in whom, the, whom God sent forth His Word to have that chiding effect and to correct him. It's like he had to be shaken to his senses. No. Look at where you are, David. This is where you are. Look what you've really done here. And in comparison to taking one man's little ewe lamb, you've done much worse than that. The chiding work of God. It's a goodness. It's a grace of God's chiding word, is it not? You know, there's something of a there's a, of a kindness in that sting. Isn't there? When the Word of God comes and it corrects us, and it may be painful. Yet at the same time, as His children, we know that there's a sweetness because it comes from the heart of a loving Father. Uh, there's a young girl that plays on Alex's baseball team, and I was talking with her grandfather. He's come to many of the games that we've gotten to know each other actually pretty well throughout the season. And he was talking about his granddaughter playing, and she was, one of the, she was not getting a whole lot of hits. And one game she got a hit, a real good hit, hit the ball, and she got on first base, and she was excited about it. And she told her, her grandfather after the game, she said, Granddaddy, she said, when I hit that ball, she said, it hurt. <laughs> but she said, it felt good. <laughs> Is it not that the way with the Word of God? Oh, sometimes the Word of God, it comes to us and it comes and it hurts because it, it exposes us and it condemns us. It reveals to us the things that we already know. At the same time, it feels good. There's a sweetness because it brings, it brings to us freedom. It brings to us a, a right relationship with God because that which has stood between us has been removed. You know, that's what God did with David. He removed that which separated. Oh, the kindness of God. The kindness of God. Could God not just as easily have just removed David from his throne? Look at what he's done. I'll find someone else, David. No, but he speaks that chiding work, but it goes forth with kindness. Let me ask you. As we see the people here and they've responded to the Word of God, they've heard the Word of God. How long? How long has it been since the truth of God's Word has brought tears? How long has it been since we've had those occasions, maybe in quietness before God, you and God alone, and those occasions when perhaps the weight of our sin begins to press upon us? Maybe there's a particular sin that will be pressed upon us. 
Maybe just simple, a simple truth from personal reading or a lesson or a sermon that the Spirit of God it takes and I pricks our conscience with that. How long has it been since our eyes have been wet before the Lord as we've sat under His Word in whatever case that may be. If we take God's Word to heart, there are going to be those times it's going to chide us and there are going to be those times it's going to bring tears. It's good. And it's right. When we sense and we see in our own hearts that there, our love for God and our love for Christ is being challenged by something else, something of much less value. But it's, but it's challenging for our affections. It's challenging the love that should be alone for God, alone for Christ. And maybe, maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a pleasure. Whatever the case may be. But something is, is vying for our affections. And we see that. It's, oh Lord. Oh Lord. I'm loving something that's not worthy. More than I'm loving you. That's a time for tears. When we see reproach brought to God's name or brought to His church because of disobedience, because of broken relationships within believers, because the testimony of the church of the world is not the testimony that's to be sent forth that Jesus says, how many times have I said that verse here? They will know that you're my disciple by your love one for another. And so there's reproach brought against the name of God, against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for tears. It's good to occasionally just see from whence we have come. To remember where we were, what we've been, and to see where we've come by the grace of God. Or sometimes to see what to what depths we have fallen because of sin, because of carelessness, spiritual sloth we've just become passive about our spiritual growth and about the spiritual pursuit and the means of grace that God has given to us prayer being in the word fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ it's good to to consider that so God's Word is the means of God's correcting of His beloved children. Sometimes it's painful, but it's always gracious to His children. It's painful, but gracious. Another thing we'll see that if we are going to be those people who will take God's Word to heart, we're going to be people who will be cheered. God's Word will cheer us. What a... Uh, emotional roller coaster we're set upon here. These people, they're hearing the Word of God. What are they doing? They're They're grieving. They're mourning because there's that sense of, of sin. There's that sense of fallenness. And they have the right. You know, that's, a, that's a proper response to, to have that sense of the Word of God and chiding effect of God's law. But now, they're exhorted by the leaders to respond as they should in light of the occasion upon which they're entering. Look again, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 9. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. 
Don't mourn. Don't weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, Then He said to them, Go, eat of the fat. Drink of the sweet. No, let's get the best of things. The best of food. The best of drink. Eat of the fat. Drink of the sweet. Send portions to Him who have nothing prepared. This is to be a national celebration. Everyone is to participate. This is a holy day unto the Lord. Celebrate it in all of its fullness. Send portions to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites, they calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. <laughs> you know, I need to tell somebody that's grieving, don't be grieved. Well, if, if it's to genuinely happen, you replace what's grieving them. You direct their thoughts to something that should bring joy. Let's look at a little bit just of what's in, in line here. Look over with me in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. You know, that's that book we don't open very often, isn't it? <laughs> Read through the Bible once a year. That's about the only time we get there. Leviticus chapter 3, uh, verse 24. Back up to 23. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, In the seventh month... Oh, what month are we in here in Nehemiah? Seventh. Okay. In the seventh month of the first of the month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So why do the people gather there in Nehemiah 8? First day of the month in obedience here there was at least the practice you know, there, there may not have been a full grasp of, of the reason but at least there was the practice here the first day of the seventh month you gather for this holy convocation and look over in Numbers 29 Numbers 29 verse 1 now in the seventh month the first day of the month you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. Festival of the trumpets, it's called. It was to be a festival of, of celebration to do two things. One, it was a, a day of preparation for the, for the celebrations coming later in the month, the, the festival of booths, but also the Day of Atonement. All this took place in the seventh month. But it was also a celebration of the faithfulness of God as they come near to the time of harvest. So they look back. It's a, it's a holy convocation. Gather the Lord, thanking God for His provision for them. So they come to this place. And so as, Nehemiah, as Ezra and Nehemiah come to the people, they tell them, you need to celebrate this day and consider what is going on here. Yes, it's right that we should experience that chiding work of the, of the law of God and have a sense of conviction. But we also want you to enter into the celebration of this day. Verse 10, what they say there, this day is holy to the Lord. Now, this day is holy to the Lord. Let me tell you, the focus, the focus of this day is not upon oneself. Rather, the focus is upon the goodness and the grace and the kindness and the provision of God. It's a month of celebrating God's faithfulness, God's provision for the, for the sins of the people that's coming later in the month. So it's a holy day. It's to the Lord. So it's an exhortation to think on the good things that God has done to consider God's favor. 
in their own context. God's favor upon them as they look back in the last six weeks and see what God has enabled them to do in the rebuilding of the walls. It's a time to come and to celebrate the Lord. Celebrate the goodness of God. And what does He say to them there? He says, verse 10, the last part, Do not be grieved for why the joy of the Lord is your strength. What joy? The joy that comes in the knowledge of God. Those who have tasted the grace of God. You know this God. You know the God of heaven. And there is joy in knowing this God. And there is joy that comes from God because of His gracious covenant that had been extended to them this day. See that God's eternal covenant that He established with Abraham is being expressed to this generation. So they had much to be joyful about. To know that there had been a way that their sins might be dealt with. And so it's a time to come and to delight in the presence of God and the fellowship of God and the good things of God. Look with me over in Deuteronomy chapter 12. As we see something of the the Spirit. In which those who come to, to worship God, those who know Him, the Spirit that they are to demonstrate as they come in the, on these occasions of worship and celebration. Look with me in, in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Let's start first of all in verse 5. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God shall choose from all your tribes to establish His name there for His dwelling. And there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hands, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the sacrificial system. Those times you come and you offer these sacrifices. Look at verse 7. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and do what? Rejoice. Rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. I have to confess to you, you know, I'm reading, I used to make Shane's Bible reading plan. I'm going through the Bible. I was reading through Deuteronomy this week. And I came up on this chapter. And I thought, man, look at this. Look down to verse 12. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters. Look over in verse 18. You shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place which your your Lord your God will choose. You and your son and your daughter and your male and your female servants, the Levites who's within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God and all your undertaking. It's one of those, I've read this, okay, 20, 30 times. <laughs> but that one word just jumped out at me. In the context of all that's being done there. You're going to rejoice in this. Rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Rejoice. Come and yes with these reminders as you offer these. Some sacrifices have reminders of sin. Some of them are that. But at the same time, you come knowing that God has, has made this provision for you. That there's a way you can come and fellowship with this God. He's not coming and, and holding a hammer over your head. You can come and fellowship and rejoice in His presence. You know, that what's conveyed here is for those who truly know God, those who have been brought into a right relationship with God, how can you do anything other than rejoice if you've truly got this thing? Rejoice. 
And what an opportunity. We as the people of God in the light that we have in this day, looking back at the cross, looking back at Calvary, how can we do anything less than rejoice as we come here on the Lord's day and celebrate the risen Christ, celebrate the life that is ours in Him, celebrate the benefits that are given to us in Him. How can we do anything less than rejoice? They were commanded to do it in the day that they were seeing things through a, talk about a glass darkly. It's such a fuller revelation that we have in our day of the of the gospel. We can rejoice in those things. That's what is fitting for people who've been redeemed. A great gift of grace for God's family to find joy in His Word. God's Word should cheer us. Yes, it's going to chide us. The Word of God is also going to cheer us. We know the chiding and the condemning Word of His Word work of His Word in our conscience. But we also know the joy of fellowship with Him. We know what it is that our sins are forgiven. That we walk in newness of life. To be adopted as His children. All that is ours in Christ. His benefits given to us. His righteousness counted for us. And our demerits, our sins, our unrighteousness placed upon Him in receiving the wrath of God. You know, among the ironies of the Christian experience is that our, our deepest pains and our, our greatest joys can be so close together and it can come from the same place. You know, we can experience the pain of God's law against us, can't we? But at the same time, we can know the joy of salvation, deliverance from all that would be condemning and destroying us. We can... Know the pain as believers as we contemplate the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you, have you read through the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and just moved, been moved to tears? This is our Lord and, and He's being crucified. He's being ill-treated beyond anything I can imagine the pain of the cross of our Lord that it brings to us because of this one that we love. And he's, in, he's enduring this not for any sins or transgressions of his own. He has none, but for us. Then the other side is that we see the joy of all that is ours because of that cross. You know, if we were there in that crowd of when Christ was crucified, there would not be that tension of let him go, let him go. He's, he's innocent, but would there not be that tension? Let him be crucified. I need him. I need a. Savior. We would never call for Him to do that. But we know, had He not done it, then we would have no hope. So we see the cross, and there's the, there's the pain of the cross of our Lord's suffering, but the joy that comes through that cross. The Word of God, it will cheer us. Yes, it will chide us, but it will cheer us. Finally, we see here in our text that God's Word will change us. The second day, verses 13 and following, says, On the second day of the heads of the fathers' households, all the people and the priests and the Levites were gathered as were the scribes that they might gain insight into the words of the law. You know, this first day, this first day that they gathered, that was that's part of the law, wasn't it? You meet on the first day of the month. What about this second day? It's not there. They're not required, but you know what? They've got some people who have been stirred. 
And so they come back and it says it's the heads of the father's household, those of leadership and the people and the priests, the Levites. They gathered as the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. Now I'm just waiting for the day that you guys just come in. Randy, will you just, can we just have church on Monday morning too? <laughs> no, I understand. We've got a different, different situation there, but... It wasn't required by law. The heads of the household, they wanted to gain insight, and apparently they're focused upon the duties of the seventh month. In other words, they're reading from the law here. Now, what is exactly? We understand we've we've had this, we've been observing to some degree, you know, this the festival of booths that was observed when Ezra was was came. If you look back in the book of Ezra, they observed it there. Maybe we're missing something. Let's go back and give this some study. And so it seems that they're focused upon. The seventh month, those things that, that are right for them to be doing, not out of complete ignorance. And they had an understanding that this was a, a special month of significance for them as a nation, as a people. But again, just to give detailed study and consideration of what's there. And it was the details of this festival of booze that began to capture them in verse 17. It says they made the booze and they lived them because they heard, they saw what had been taken and it says here in verse 17, the last part, that the sons of Israel, they had, they had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun to that day. What's he saying here? Because we know, we know, for example, in the book of Ezra, that the, that the Feast of Booths was observed there. What's he saying here? He's saying this, this festival was observed in a way that it had not been done since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. What's he saying here? Well, it seems to be that it's implying... What's implying here that there was a widespread participation. In other words, it was something that, that all the people caught the vision. Uh, the, the idea likely that in the days when the people had to make these these journeys into Jerusalem, that not everybody was in the spirit of things. You know, we got to go do this. Let's go do this. All oh, this don't bother with these little tents and booths of palm. Let's don't do all that trouble. We'll just go and we'll do our sacrifices. And you know, the details don't matter. We'll go. We'll, we'll get the high points. So it seems there's just been kind of something of a neglect of the, the actual details. And they were supposed to come and, and live in these booths as a reminder of, the, of their forefathers being kept by God in the wilderness, in their temporary housing as they wandered around for years in the wilderness there. They seem to have moved from that. And it says there, as they did that, as they took to heart the Word of God, and they said, this is what the law of God says, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So they did it. They didn't look back to the year before. They looked back to five years. They looked back. This is what the Word of God says. Forget the tradition we've evolved into. This is what the Word of God says. Let's do it. There were people that were changed by the Word of God. You know, we have the, the example in the, in the New Testament of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were certainly those who would be considered students of the Word of God. And they were. They knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. They knew, not only that, they knew the additions and traditions of men added to that. And Jesus even says to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But there were people that were unchanged by the Word. The Word of God had no changing effect upon them. We need to remember the goal of Bible study, the goal of teaching, that the goal of preaching here today. It's not here to inform you. 
That's the beginning point. I do some of that. But it's also to, to transform you. That there be a transformation of life. That the Word of God changes. You know, there's too much of the time that we that we come to church and don't we think something along the lines of, you know, this word's for somebody over there. Or I hope they got, hope they got that one. <laughs> or why can't they be here and hear that word, you know, when I'm the one here? You no, know, we do a lot of that. We've, we've figured out who that, who that message or who that, who that thought belongs to. And then there's the whole issue of our own culture today. Well, does the Bible really have anything to say to us today? I mean, we talk about morality or you talk about ethics. Is the Bible really a significant book that contributes to our understanding? Our, it's, it's dated. That was, if you look at the New Testament, the best of times. Paul's views on on his ethics and morality, the thing, those are they're just so caught up in, in the the day in which they're found, they can't really bring any light to us. We're beyond that now. Well, this is the people that looked at the Word of God and the Word of God that had been given to their forefathers. You know they what they said? This is God's Word to us. God said, do this. We're going to do it. Beware of the tradition. I mean, I'm very thankful the free hand I've been given here as I've talked to Randy and Neil. I said, you know, what have y'all done here? He said, this is what we've done and so many times. But we don't have to do that. And in general, we're talking about things that are just of secondary and they're not the essentials. But, you know, beware of traditions that replace the Word of God. Of a mentality that, that impresses upon us what we should do rather than going to the Word of God and being willing to go to the Word of God and take it to heart and say, this is the Word of God. Maybe the situation is different. Maybe the principles are not going to be exactly the same, but there, there is some application. How else can I preach to you from the book of Nehemiah? There's no application for us today. I mean, it's hard enough to do it from the New Testament. <laughs> if I go all the way back to the Old Testament and try to make application. Because it's the Word of God. And the Word of God has application there that there are those universal life principles that God gives to us all through His Word. And our task is to discover and to yield our lives to them. Take the Word of God to heart. To let God's Spirit be free to make the changes in our thinking, changes in our attitudes, changes in our actions. That's the goal of the Word of God that would be changed. And the Word of God will do that. Have you taken the Word of God to heart recently? You know, maybe you need to consider as this afternoon or tomorrow or in the morning, whenever you have just a time along with God. Hey, Lord, I've got the I've got the motions down, but I'm I'm not really. I'm not really taking this word to heart. Would you speak a, a word to my heart? Or maybe it's too late for right now, but Lord, next Sunday we'll listen to what Randy says. Take it to heart. Be willing to be chided by that word when it comes and it has that edge to it, that work of conviction in us. It's a sweet, sweet conviction. To be cheered by that word. To be cheered by the words that are ours. To celebrate in the goodness of the Lord. And as the people of God. That we have all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to be changed by that word. Lord. This is your word of truth. 
I've not been obedient to it. By Your grace, I'm going to obey. Be changed. Take it to heart. Certainly a need for all of our hearts. We ask for His grace to do so. Heavenly Father, what a kindness it is extended to us that we can come and open Your Word and from Your Word have the importance of Your Word pressed upon us. I pray You would make us a worshiping people. And make us a, a people of the Word who love it, who have the right priority and perspective and perception, but also willing to sit beneath it to be chided, to be cheered, to be changed. We pray this in the name of Your Son, Lord Jesus.